Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. Today I want to briefly nail it in, uh, the, the understanding of the Great Commission. Why? Do we win souls? Why do we evangelize? What is the task of global evangelism? Why is it such a, you know, why was it such a pressing matter on Jesus' spirit before he left? I mean, turn to Mark, six, Mark chapter 16, and we'll start there. Mark the 16th chapter, and starting from verse 14. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen from the dead. So, you know, Jesus doesn't tolerate unbelief. Jesus rebuked unbelief. It's not like, oh, you just explore your doubts, explore your... Cap-. No, you don't explore your doubts. You rebuke unbelief, and Jesus taught us right there. Verse 15, And he said to them, Go ye therefore into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe, before I move on, I would love for you to like this page, like our our, our broadcast and share the broadcast. Please share this broadcast. This is an essential message that needs to get out. Share this broadcast. It's a very easy thing on the bottom left of your screen, I think it is. You just click it and share now with your followers. A very easy way to uh, partner with us in winning the loss today. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who do believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak out with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and the sick will recover. So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. As they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord worked with them, confirming the word preached through the accompanying signs. Skip down now to Romans chapter 10. Romans the 10th chapter, and starting from verse, starting from verse 6. But the righteousness of faith speaks like this. Don't say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess the Lord Jesus with your mouth, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, Whoever believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not heard? Or in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without there being a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. I want you to notice from these two scriptures that I read this this afternoon, In Mark 16 and in Romans 10, both of them give us a firm commandment. Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. You know, the Great Commission, the number one point in understanding the Great Commission, the Great Commission, the mandate of heaven to go and win souls is not optional. It's not something that God said, if you have free time, why don't you engage in this activity? The Great Commission isn't something that God told us to do so that we'd have something to do until he comes back. No, the great commission, commission, I mean, if you understand the word commission, actually means the great commandment. 
It's the greatest of commandments. I don't know if you remember, but in the scriptures, uh, 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 someone came up to Jesus and said, Master or teacher, which of the commandments is the greatest in the law? And he said, the greatest commandment is this. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then he said, but the second commandment is equally as great as the first. And he said, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Interestingly enough, the Great Commission, the mandate to win souls, actually ties both of those, loving God and loving people, into one. That's why it's the greatest of the commandment. It's the greatest of the, of the commissions God has on the earth. Because it shows when you engage the lost, when you engage in soul winning, you're not only, sh- you're not only showing God that you love people, you're actually demonstrating to God that whatever you love most, I love, I, I, that's, my, that's my top priority. Whatever you are in most concern of, whatever you see, as top priority in your life, God, I have, I have placed, because I love you most, I have placed it as top priority in my life. You read in John chapter 14 and verse 21, the Bible says, He that has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the greatest commandment is winning the loss. And Jesus said, He that keeps that commandment to win the loss is the one that loves me. How, why do we win the loss? Because we demonstrate, we're demonstrating in winning the loss, our great love for God and our great love for people. And there's a promise attached to that. Jesus said, if you have my commandments and keep them, you're the one that loves me. And because you love me, you'll be loved by my Father and I will manifest myself to you. That means the life of Christ will be manifested to you. The life of everything God has. The life of Jesus Christ. His healing power. His restoration power. His ability to heal the sick. His ability to make something of a life that otherwise would be a destitute. That you would live as a destitute. His ability to make great. God said, if you have my commandments and keep them, I will manifest that life to you. The life of God manifests through us if we do His work. That's, what, that's one of the blessings of engaging God's, God's field, the harvest field. You know, the number one problem God has on the earth is not lost sinners. It's not people that need Christ. The number one problem God has on the earth is Christians who won't engage the harvest field. It's Christians who see the Great Commission as the great option. It's not an option. It's a mandate from heaven. And then, you know... Everyone loves to, to quote, you know, we have faith so much as a mustard seed, we can say to the mountain, be removed from here to there, and it shall obey us, and nothing shall be impossible to us. Matthew 17, 20. People can, most Christians can quote that off the top of their head. But then, you know, if your faith doesn't move you, your faith won't be operational enough to move mountains. Unless your faith in Christ has not first moved you to win the loss, You will never have authority to move mountains. Your faith in Christ must first be moving in your spirit to move you to engage God's kingdom, to engage God's harvest field before you can use it in moving mountains. That's like something that doesn't get preached, gets preached much in churches. People think it's just, you know, witchcraft. Snap the fingers and mountains will move. No, it's me cooperating with God in winning the loss. And as I do that and keep that commandment, Jesus said, I will manifest my power through you so that whatever mountain standing in your way, you'll cheaply move it by the power of faith in your mouth. Can you say amen? I want you to write that down. Before my faith can move mountains, it must first move me. Before my faith can move mountains, write that in the comment section. Before my faith can move mountains, it must first move me. I see Sharice, Mario Varkas, God bless you, from Switzerland. Awesome. Praise God. Look at that. Never been there. Would love to go there. Watching from Toronto, Ontario, Kareem Lee from the Prayer Pass. I met him when I was with uh, Evangelist Tiff Shuttlesworth in January. We have Matthew Allen Muse. J.C. Lax from Pennsylvania, Chad Fisher, Vicky Sudu. Awesome. Glad you're joining us here today. This is going to be a powerful broadcast. Once again, I'll encourage you, share this broadcast with your friend list, and uh, let's get this message out. You know, in Romans 10, we read it after. The Bible says that how can they, you know, God did not task angels to, to preach the gospel. 
God did not assign angels to preach the gospel. God himself does not preach the gospel. The Holy Spirit on the earth does not, he's not, you know, manifesting flesh and going around preaching the gospel. That's not what's happening. The Holy Spirit actually doesn't have any expression on the earth unless he first possesses a man to preach the gospel and get the word out, the word of salvation. The Holy Spirit actually can't do any work on the earth unless he first fills a yielded spirit, a yielded, yielded body, a submitted, surrendered body, so that the Holy Spirit can get his work done on the earth. So to pray prayers like, God, I just pray, send your spirit to save the lost. That's not a biblical prayer. To pray prayers like, God, I pray that you would send your angels into the highways and byways and that you would bring people into the kingdom of God by your angels. That doesn't work. Angels are not assigned with the preaching of the gospel. The Bible says in Hebrews that they are ministering spirits sent forth to minister on behalf of those who will preach the gospel, meaning that angels assist men in preaching the gospel. They do not preach the gospel themselves, but they can aid men in preaching the gospel. They can orchestrate meetings. As in the case in Acts chapter 10, the Bible says of Cornelius, he was a, a, a centurion of the Italian regiment, a man who feared God, and he even gave alms. He was a, a heavy giver to the church of God. And the Bible says that as he was fasting and praying, he didn't know Jesus. He didn't know Christ. But he was fasting and praying because he had a love for God. He just had no ability to plug into God because he didn't know Jesus Christ. But he still had a sincerity in his heart and that he was hungry for the divine God. He was hungry for the one who created him. And as he was praying and fasting, the Bible says that an angel appeared to him. The angel did not preach the gospel to him. The angel didn't pull out a PowerPoint presentation and put a projector on the wall and start pointing out with a laser pointer. Here's why, you know, here's what you need to believe to access God. You know, the Bible says Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and you can't access him by. So I encourage you to place your faith in Jesus. The angel didn't do that. The angel actually said, I've, your prayers and your alms have risen up as an aroma to God. And I've been sent in response to your prayers. But now, send for a man in the city of Joppa, whose surname is Simon, whose name is Peter. And he will preach to you the words of the kingdom of God. The angel was sent by God to orchestrate, to organize a meeting for, for the Italian centurion, for the Cornelius, to hear the message of the gospel. And it then Peter, at the same hour, he's praying on a rooftop in Joppa. And the Bible says he sees a vision. Now before this vision, Peter thought the gospel and salvation was only for the Jews. But as he saw this vision, he saw a sheet coming down with all kinds of four-footed creatures of the earth. And God said, what I have called clean no longer deem unclean. This was signalizing or signaling that this was a, a, a signal to him that the, the Gentiles were no longer unclean and unfit or unworthy of repentance, but that God had opened up the gate and opened up the door of salvation. The ark had been, the ark door had been lifted up for Gentiles to come home and receive faith, receive salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. But when Peter had that vision, the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, there's three men coming to you on behalf of a Cornelius a man named Cornelius, go with him and preach the words of the kingdom of God to him and his family. When Peter went to the house of Cornelius, he opened up his mouth and preached salvation through Christ. And it was at that moment that the Holy Spirit fell on all those that believed and they were saved, healed, restored, and the centurion and his family and his closest relatives were on their way to heaven. But I want you to see, Romans 10 says, how can they believe unless they hear? How can they hear unless there be a preacher? How can there be a preacher unless someone is sent? What is the task of global evangelism? What is the task of winning the loss? What is the task of the Great Commission? It's us cooperating, human being, human, those who profess Christ as Lord and Savior, joining hands with Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost in cooperation to see the Great Commission fulfilled and to see lost men come home. God's primary mission, which leads me to, I'm going to do five Bible reasons for soul winning. Five Bible motivations for soul winning. Number one, God loves people. 
The number one reason why God has tasked the Great Commission, has commissioned us to win the lost, is because God loves people. Romans chapter 5 says that God demonstrated His love towards sinners, and that while they were yet in sin, Christ died for their sins. The Bible says in John 3.16, it's a well-known verse to most Christians, and I hope you know it. If you don't, you should memorize it. It was Billy Graham's, you know, pinnacle or centered verse for his ministry, which was a great ministry that he led. Personally, I think the numbers are 200 million people to the Lord in his years of ministry. And he centered around the fact of John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe on him would not perish, but have everlasting life. You know, that doctrine, it's called Calvinism. That tells you that God loves certain people on the earth, but other people he's damned to hell. That God has played a game of duck, duck, goose, but instead he's called it duck, duck, damned. That God chooses certain people to get saved, but other, other people, in order for him to receive all the glory, he has to send them to hell. What a perverted, twisted, demonically inspired, seducing doctrine of the devil that has perverted the church ever since the 1500s. The, the early disciples did not believe that message. The early disciples, Paul didn't write about that message. Paul didn't, he didn't believe, they, I don't know where they get that out of. It's so, if anyone knows the heart of God, they would understand that God loves and has compassion for people. If you look at it, when the disciples were traveling with Jesus and they came to a certain Samaritan village, and they didn't receive Jesus because he had set his face towards Jerusalem. They had said he has to go another way. They didn't let him come through their town. Because, the, you know, Jesus, you know, he was a controversial guy during the time. And so what happened? The disciples, Peter and John, who are also known as the sons of thunder, which was a, a, a term of, they were, they were angry, quick-tempered, angry people. Jesus had called them sons of thunder because they were like thunder. They just started making noise out of the blue. And they said... Because they didn't let us go through, should we call down fire from heaven and kill them and burn them up by fire, even as Elijah did? What did Jesus say? No, you don't know what spirit you're of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but the Son of Man came to save men's lives. The Son of Man did not come to destroy the life of man. God sent His only begotten Son to restore, to redeem, to purchase by His blood every human soul, every human body, every human spirit, so that they wouldn't have to spend eternity in hell, but that by Christ Jesus and the sacrifice of the Christ, He would redeem them by His blood out of every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every kindred. God so loved the whole world. There's not some people God loves and other people God hates. God loves everyone. And that includes you. If you have thoughts that God's angry at you or God's out to get you or God has some sadistic plan to torture and torment you, that's the devil trying to steal, kill, and destroy the destiny of God on your life. But the good news is, is that God did not send His Son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Jesus Christ might be saved. God has not appointed you unto wrath, but to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. What is salvation? Salvation is not just being having your sins forgiven. It's having the sinful nature cut off your life. It's having that sinful nature, that desire to, to be an addict, that desire to be an adulterer, that desire to be an idolater, that desire for pornography, that desire for alcohol, that desire for drugs. God takes that nature, that desire, that appetite, that love for those things. He rips it out and He puts on the inside. He takes the heart of stone and he puts a heart of flesh in you. He puts his spirit in you so that you're not only able, but you're willing and able to walk in God's path and destiny for your life. That's what salvation is. And I see you entering into that today in Jesus' name. At the end of this broadcast, I'm going to give an invitation. If you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, I want to give you the opportunity. I want to invite you into God's kingdom. God hasn't skipped over you. God hasn't chosen someone else in your stead. No, the Bible says God loves you and God sent his son to die for you and God took his sons took his son took whips on his back to get you healed to get you restored so that you wouldn't have to be pray for the devil but you can rise out of the dunghill you can rise out of the ash heap and sit with God as a prince 
in the land. Can you say amen? I'm going to give you an invitation at the end of this broadcast where, where you'll be able to invite Jesus Christ to be Lord and Savior of your life, where you can turn away from your old sins. You can turn away from your and God will put his spirit and his power on you so that what you tried to break free from will once and for all be broken off your life forever. How shall they call on him unless they've not believed? Number one, God loves people. God loves people. Number two, time is running out. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. And we'll start from we'll start from verse 3. Knowing this, that mockers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget. That by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water, and in the water. By which, the whole, standing out of water, in the water, by which the world that then existed, perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire, until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, do not forget, get this, listen to this right now. Do, do not forget that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slack, or another translation says slow, concerning His promise, but as some count slackness or slowness. But He's being patient towards mankind, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord shall come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt away with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burnt up. Therefore, since all these things will be destroyed, what manner of persons ought we to be in holy conduct and in godliness? Number two, time is running out. The Bible says here, God is not slow concerning His promise, but He's being patient towards us. If you read Matthew 24, the Bible talks about uh, things that would happen before the, seven, the second coming of Christ. Things that would begin to happen on the earth. Greater earthquakes than ever before. There would be more famine than ever before. There would be more, more diseases and deadly diseases that would ravage the earth than ever before. The Bible says nation will begin to betray nation. Kingdom will rise up against kingdom. And, and there will be war like there's never been war before. If you look at it, I don't know what the number is, but there are hundreds of wars going on right now as we speak right now. There are hundreds of wars, tribal wars, you know, wars between nations, wars you don't even know about that are going on right now as we speak. And the Bible says that when those things begin to increase and accelerate at an unprecedented manner and an unprecedented rate, that Jesus said these are actually just the beginning of birth pains. When a woman goes into labor, she has contractions. It's one contraction after another. And the closer she gets to the, actually, the actual delivery of the child, the contractions begin to get worse and more recurrent. And that's what Jesus related the end time prophetic events. to. That's why he related it to, to childbirth. Because they would happen once. You saw it in, I mean, World War I. You, you saw like the first major contraction of the end times. Huge war. Many people died. Then a couple of years later, 20 years later, I think it is, from 19, I think it was 1914 to 1918, then 1939 to 1945, 1939 to 1945, you have World War II, which is like the second major contraction, and then you see the war, uh, you know, the war in Korea, but he's waiting for the church to start activating that mandate of winning the law to get out. And that's what Jesus said in the parable. He said, go out now and send my invitation out to everyone in the streets. Go and proclaim those that are in the highways and byways to come into my house. God, because time is running out more than ever before, is there an urgency? Is there a requirement and a demand placed on Christians? Not just the evangelists. That's a, that's a, 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 a notion that's been really twisted. That the, 
the act of winning the loss or the activity of soul winning is just for the evangelist or it's just for the pastor. That evangelism has been reduced from preaching the gospel to bringing people to church. Bringing people to church can aid in evangelism. But we have all been given, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we have all been given the ministry of reconciliation. We have all been given the word of reconciliation. That means if you call yourself a Christian, because time is running out, there should be an urgency and a burden that comes on you. That you know that one day, we're going to stand before God. And the Bible said, that's why Paul said, knowing the terror of the Lord, knowing that one day I'm going to have to give an account as to how I did, how I lived on the earth, how I, how I, 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 I was responsible for my generation. And he said, knowing the terror of the Lord, I persuade men for necessity is laid upon me to preach the gospel. Man, Paul was like the terminator for Christian preachers. He went, he went somewhere, got stoned, rose back from the dead, and went straight into the next town to preach the gospel. Nothing faced him. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me and my words, I'll be ashamed of you. And I'll be ashamed of you before my Father. But if you'll be bold to declare my, my gospel message, if you'll be unashamed, like David said, I'm not ashamed of thy word. I'll declare your word to my, to my, my generation. Like Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God. If you'll adopt that same boldness, that same confidence, then I'll tell you the truth. The same reward Paul had, you'll start enjoying not only in the next life, but you'll have reward here and now. For the laborer, those that labor in the kingdom of God are worthy of the wages of God. Can you say amen? Time is running out. There is necessity. Paul said in Romans 1, he said, as, as I'm ready now, I am a debtor. I have a burden. I am in debt to God to preach the gospel both to barbarians, to senseless people who don't even want to hear it, and to, and to wise men. I have a debt to preach the gospel to wise and to foolish people. So as much as is in me, I will also preach the gospel at Rome. You know, Paul said in the book of Acts, he said, nothing, nothing moves me on this earth that I might solemnly testify of the gospel of the grace of God. Nor do I consider my life as any account dear to myself. You know, people mis misunderstand the Bible. Whenever Jesus said we're to pick up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow him. He, hey, Jamie, from Wildwood Chapel, or Wildwood, Alberta. God bless you. Thanks for joining us. Please, share, once again, share this broadcast. When Paul, in Acts chapter 20 and verse 24, he said, Oh, sorry, I was saying, the Bible says that Jesus said that you are to pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. When Jesus said that, he wasn't talking about picking up the cross of sickness. He already picked up that cross. He wasn't talking about picking up the cross of sinful addiction, addiction to, to drugs and alcohol. He already picked up that cross. Those things were dealt, that's elementary baseline Christianity. That when you come to Christ, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Totally free from any any influence of the devil here in this life. But when Jesus said, if any man wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. A lot of Christian churches in North America, because there's virtually no persecution in the church, they've relegated that or they've, they've misunderstood that to mean sickness, disease, calamity, tribulation, you know, things that happen in life. That's not what Jesus was saying. He, he was saying, if you want to follow me, you got to pick up your death sentence for the gospel. The cross, it was, a, it was a, a representation of total submission to the will of God, even unto death. The cross represented like martyrdom, that I'm ready to die if I have to. That's what Esther said. Esther, when she was to go before the king, the, if she went before the king and the king didn't show favor, and he didn't wave his wand before her, she would have been killed and speared on the spot. But she came for, she came with the boldness saying, if I perish, I perish. I was born for such a time as this. This is the, this is what God has called me to do. If I perish, I perish. And that's what matters. I'm just striving to please the audience of one, Jesus Christ. If he's happy with me, if men hated Christ, they'll hate me. And that's fine for me because blessed are you when men persecute you and say all kinds of evils for you on your behalf, for my sake, for great is your reward in heaven. You have to adopt that Esther mentality. 
money. If the, I'll preach the gospel till they put me in a If they can do it, they'll put me in a I don't care where I'm at. I don't care how they treat me. I don't care if they stone me. I don't care if they throw tomatoes at me. If you preach the gospel that way, let me tell you, that's the way that gets God to confirm with results. If you look at in John Wesley, one of the guys who founded the, who was a, a pinnacle, a, a key, key component in one of the awakenings when he was preaching. People would literally throw tomatoes at him and moon him as he was preaching. But you know what? God used him to change a generation. God used him to, to turn people away from sin. Not just a couple of people. A whole nation where the United States actually outlawed alcohol, outlawed a bunch of stuff. Billy Sunday, the same thing for I think eight whole years because of his bold Unashamed declaration of the gospel. The America, the, the United States of America prohibited alcohol from being sold throughout the whole nation. Let me tell you, those people were great, but that was just the former reign. Now we're in the latter reign and God's raising up a new generation of preachers, a new generation of Holy Ghost men and women. He said in the last days, I'll pour out of my spirit on all flesh and I'll begin to raise up young men and old men, young women and old women that what you saw in times past, that'll just be a trickling, a, 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 a mist of what I'm about to do through this generation through the Christians that are on the earth right now. God's not finished with Canada. God's not finished with America. God's not finished with this planet. The Bible says he's being patient. Your yeah, time is running out, but he's being patient towards this generation because this is the generation as bad as they seem right now. This is the generation that shall seek the Lord, that'll see God move one more time. He'll shake the heavens. He'll shake the earth and everything that'll be shaken will be shaken. And we we will see in, in these years, in the next 10 years, we will see the greatest revival that has ever come into this world. The book of Acts, that wasn't just, that's not a museum for us to visit. It's not something that we can look and say, wow, wasn't it great? What a story. Let's read it as a bedtime story. That's not what the book of Acts is. The book of Acts was actually a type and a foreshadow of what the end time church would look like. It was just a little trickling. It was a little misting, like before a storm, like we're about to get today in Montreal. It's a little mist, a little, a little tiny raindrops here and there, a little wind, but that was just a, a, a type of what's to come, the torrential downpour. There's going to be a torrential downpour of God's power on the body of, of believers that the sleeping church is about to arise and we're going to see, we're going to see not only what they saw in the book of Acts, but what eye has not seen, what ear has not heard, what has never been conceived in the heart of man. God will do in my generation and you're not going to be a sideliner. You're going to be on the forefront with us in Jesus mighty name. If you believe that for yourself, man, shout hallelujah. Shout amen. Say, God will use me. Why don't you write that in the comment section? God will use me to shake my generation. God will use me to shake my generation. God will use me to shake my generation. Uh, enough of that devilish doctrine. Uh, we'll just leave it to the evangelist. No. We work together. We're the body of Christ. What can an arm do alone? What can an eye do alone? An eye alone is just an eye. But the eye, the arm, the hands, the body, the organs, all working together, it makes a force. Jesus said, I will build my church, I'll build my body, and the gates of hell will never be able to prevail or stand against it. Hallelujah. Number three, there's a real heaven. Number three, biblical reason for soul winning, for winning the loss. There is a real heaven and there's a real hell. Luke chapter 16 records the story of two men, a rich man and Lazarus, the poor man. The rich man was clothed sumptuously and fared sumptuously. Uh, he was clothed with, with fine linen and purple clothes and fared sumptuously every day, meaning he was well off, lived well. Nothing wrong with that, but he had no regard for God. He didn't care about God. He, he was obsessed and infatuated with the world's riches. And then there was another one, a poor man named Lazarus. But he was poor, but he loved God nonetheless. He was in covenant with God, and he was a, a, a true worshiper of God. And the Bible says both of them died. You know, heaven is not some fable, and hell is not some fable. Heaven's not, heaven is real, and it's not like hell is not real. You know, there's that guy, Rob, Rob Bell, who I, I'm not ashamed to call him out by name, because when you go this far, and start misleading people. You rip up those books. You have any Rob Bell books, rip them up. He wrote this book called Love Wins. That in the end, ultimately God was kidding about hell. God was kidding about everything. He actually really loves people. And, 
and, uh, and, and he forgets his justice and he forgot all that. Everyone will make heaven. Every, no matter what you've done, no matter how you've lived, no matter if you've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you'll go to heaven. That's dung, man. That's a pile of bull poop. That, that's not true. That, that type of doctrine is what the devil wants to have. Pro he had no problem. There's no resistance with a ministry and a preacher that preaches that way. The, the hell will not rise against someone who preaches that way. Because it's a false confession and it's a, the blind leading the blind and they both fall into the same pit. He wrote a book like that. Burn that book if you have it. It's no good. Heaven is real and hell is also real. When, the bo when both people died, the Bible says Lazarus was carried away by the angels into heaven. But the rich man who didn't care about God. And there's nothing against, oh he was rich, that's why he went to hell. No, God wants you to be wealthy. But he wants you not to love your wealth. He wants you to love God and use your wealth to advance the agenda of God on the earth. But because he had no care or concern for God, he also died. And the Bible says he, he went to hell. He went to a place. Let me read it. Luke chapter 16. Let me give you a vivid example. What the Bible says hell is like. Hell is not just being separated from the presence of God. You know, the worst thing about hell will be we won't be in God's presence anymore and we won't feel that joy. Hell is well, well, I mean, people who aren't even saved on the earth, they already don't live in the presence of God. It's not like God's presence. You know, he's omnipresent in that he's everywhere, but not everyone tastes of his presence. Not everyone carries the presence of God. So if they didn't have the presence of God on the earth, the worst thing about hell will not be they won't have the presence of God in hell. It'll just be, you know, whatever it looked like on, you know, that's that song, the highway to hell, that hell's like a rock and roll center. Hell is not like rock and roll. Hell's not going to be some fun, lavish party where everyone's just, you know, getting drunk and having parties all day. Hell, we'll read it right here, Luke 16. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs also came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried away to angels, uh, by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, and being in torment, in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he might dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm in torment in these flames. Notice the first thing he, did, he said wasn't, God, the worst thing about hell is that you're not here and we would just so much appreciate if you made a, 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 a spark a, a, a sudden appearance and just give us that glimpse of hope. That's not what he was crying out. He didn't, he didn't care. He didn't have God on earth. He didn't care if he had God in hell. What he wanted was that, that Lazarus would dip someone who the Bible says was full of sores, a leper, someone who was laid daily at his gate, who was the dogs, his own, the rich man's dogs would come and lick his sores. Someone who, who was disgusting in his sight. Now when he's in hell, in torment and flames, he asked that he, a disgusting man who formerly was full of sores, would dip his finger, his disgusting finger in water and just put it in his tongue, on his tongue so that he would have some relief from the anguish of his flames. Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he's comforted and you're tormented. Besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. There won't be any chance when you, if when people go to hell, there won't be a chance. There won't be a second, a second chance. After that, it's done. The chasm's closed. The lake of fire has been sealed, and there's nothing to do about. It. There's nothing you can do. The greatest desire, the you know. Forget who said it, but someone said the the anthem of hell will be "I did it my way." The anthem of hell will be "I did it my way." And because people do it their way, there's a way that seems right unto men and it leads unto death. And there won't be a second chance. There won't be a second hand of mercy that gets extended. Now, that's why the Bible says, today is the acceptable time. Hebrews says, today when you hear his voice, don't harden your heart as in the rebellion. 
the temptation to hear a message like that and say, well, I, I believe that what he's saying. I believe there's a hell and, and I know there's a heaven. And I, you know, I've been going to a Catholic church every Christmas and Easter. And I, you know, I, I believe all those things, but ultimately it's just not the right time. It's just, I know that there'll be a more convenient time where I'll settle down. Maybe when I'm older and I have a, a wife and kids or I have a husband and kids and I need to, you know, I'll, I'll become more mature there. Let me tell you, the devil will not wait for you to mature to make your life a living hell on earth. The devil is not a gentleman. If he sees any open door, he'll come in. And there might be a day where it's too late. You hear about it all the time, where people get into car accidents. They, you know, the, one of my wife's friends from Boston, she had, she had been to church, grew up in the church. She knew the message of the gospel. And she, she was uh, out one night. She went clubbing in Boston. And she was out. And the guy that was driving or the girl that was driving had drank too much, got into a car accident. And because of that, because she was in the wrong place at the wrong time, immediate on impact, she died. And who knows what, you know, well, who knows what happened? She probably, she, she's in hell because she was, who knows what she did that? She was drunk off, you know, they found amounts, uh, large amounts of alcohol in her body. She, she was drunk. She went to hell because of that, because of one mistake, because she was waiting. Wait, maybe one day a more convenient time will come. It's not, today is the day to be saved. You know, King Agrippa, when he heard Paul preach, he said, man, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. But he said, nevertheless, I'll put you away for a more convenient time. Who knows if that more convenient time came. You're not promised tomorrow. Life is but a vapor. Today's the day to be saved. Now's the time. There's no better time to put your head to your pillow tonight and know that you have peace with God than now and here. Because the Bible says that Jesus will come as a thief in the night. Even if you don't die. Even if something doesn't happen, like a tragedy. The Bible says Jesus Christ will come back like a thief in the night. Where the heavens will be open. And those that are dead in Christ will rise. And those that are alive, living for Christ, will, will be lifted up to meet them in the, in the Lord in the clouds forever. But those, the Bible says, those that didn't confess Christ. Those that didn't believe. Those that didn't obey the call to salvation. They'll be everlasting dis, uh, everlasting severance from the presence of God, in everlasting tribulation, a flame that doesn't go out, and a worm that never gives up. That's what hell is like. Hell is not, you know, that's why, I forget who said it. There was a minister who said, give me a set of ministers who spend 24 hours in hell and let me dispatch them to the nations and they'll preach the gospel like no other. If we would spend just 24 hours in hell, Lester Sumrall, that's what, if, you ever, if you've ever heard of the ministry of Lester Sumrall, a man who shook his generation, a man who, who impacted the global, with the, the global, on a global scale, scale, impacted people for the gospel. He, he said that before he had this vision, he actually was just preaching the gospel out of obligation. But then the Lord showed him a vision where he, it was like real for him. He saw a highway of people marching one way. It was a one-way highway. People were just a broad way. And they kept up from every nation. Indians, Chinese, white, black. Every nation. People were, were, were walking on this highway. Like zombies. Just like lambs led, led to the slaughter. Like oxen going to the correction of the stocks. And they kept walking in one direction. And then there was a big dip. A big dip at the end of the, at the, end of the way. And they all fell. And that he went and looked over. And there was fire. And they were all crying out to come out. And there was a massive lake of fire where there was no relief from. And he cried out to God and said, God, make it stop. Make it stop. Put a barrier. Do something about it. And the Lord told him, no, you, there won't be any barrier. You have to go and preach to them. He said, Lord, I don't want to. I don't want to go. He, 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 he grew up in a different time. He's like, man, I like where I live. I love where I live in Florida. I don't want to go to, the, to those nations of the world. But the Lord said, no, you must go. And then all of a sudden, blood started gushing from his hand. And he started freaking out, saying, well, man, what? God, make this stop now. And the Lord said, if you don't go and preach, their blood will be on your hands. He was quoting out of Ezekiel 3. Ezekiel 3 says, go and warn the wicked. To turn from their destruction. If you don't go and warn the wicked. Their blood will be on your hands. But if you go and warn the wicked. And they, they do whatever they want with the message after. You know your job is not to get people converted. Your job is to preach the gospel. Under the unction and the power of the Holy Spirit. In the simplicity of the death, 
the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And God will do the rest. It is the Spirit who convicts of truth. It's the Spirit who convicts of righteousness. And it's the Spirit who convicts of eternal judgment. Our job is to speak the word. It's God's job by the Holy Ghost to confirm that word, to let the word set and seal in men's hearts. He started crying out, God, make it stop. He said, if you don't go, the blood will be on your hands. Why do we preach the gospel? Biblical motivation number three. Because there's a real hell. And if we don't go and preach, their blood will be on our hands. That's why I preach like this. That's why everywhere we go, without exception, we give an invitation for the lost. Because we're not some, you know, most evangelists, they're just holding pep rallies for believers, just trying to get the church excited. I'm not here for that. I'm here to see lost men, men that are in darkness, men that are sitting in the shadow of death, men that are on their way to hell, men that have no hope in this world, no God in this world, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, a gospel of salvation, a gospel telling them to repent of sin, to leave the broad way which leads unto destruction, to get on the narrow way which leads unto life. That's the only hope, the blood of Jesus Christ, the power of the gospel is the only hope for our generation. It's the only hope. Biblical vision number four. It's commanded. Matthew 28. Go therefore into every nation and preach this gospel. Pre teaching them all that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you to the ends of the age. It's a command. It's not an option. Mark, Matthew 25. The Bible talks about the parable of the talents. That some had five, some had two, some had one. And the one that had one, he buried his talent. He didn't do anything with the gospel message. He kept it to himself because he thought that his master was a hard man, a hard taskmaster, and he, he, he reaped where, where others had sowed, and he lay, you know, he, he was, a, 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 he was a, a twisted businessman. And the Bible says that when the, the boss came back, the employer came back, he actually condemned the man. He said, you, you lazy and wicked servant. We are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, you'll either be a, a, a faithful steward of what God has entrusted to us, the gospel of, of Christ, or we'll be a lazy, wicked servant. And the Bible says that because that man, though he thought he was saved, you know, Charles Spurgeon said, if you think you're saved and have no desire to see others saved, you are not saved. If you think you are saved and have no desire to see other people saved, you are not saved. If you don't have the compassion of Christ that grips your spirit and your heart, that compel, you know what Paul said? The love of Christ compels me. The love of Christ, God's love, what he's done through me and to me, compels me to see that done in other people's life. Charles Spurgeon said, if you don't have that in, you need to reevaluate. You know, that's why Paul said, examine yourself, test yourself, see if you're in the faith, or don't you know that Jesus Christ lives in you? You have to examine yourself today. Do I have an urgency to see lost human, lost, lost mankind come to salvation? Do I, do I live just nine to five working for retirement so I can live, you know, in a retire home, retirement home in Florida and live out the rest of my days and then one day stand before God and receive my crown and that'll be it? No, there'll be a rude awakening for a lot of so-called Christians because they did nothing with the gospel. They received it for themselves and they kept quiet and shut their mouths and didn't do anything with it. And God said to that man that did exactly that with the one talent, you wicked and lazy servant, take his body, cut it in two, and appoint it with the portion of unbelievers. Number four, it's commanded. Number five, winning souls is the cheapest ticket to all around victory. It's the cheapest ticket to all around victory. When you get to work in God's work, God gets to work for you. The laborer is worthy of his wages. The laborer is worthy of his wages. Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and everything else, the victory, the joy, the peace, the righteousness, the, the money, the everything else that people are chasing after, working overtime to get. God said, I'll cheaply put it in your lap. Because you, you know, Zechariah 7, 13. Because I cried out and they would not listen, they'll also cry out and I'll not hear. Meaning because God said, go and win the lost, but they wouldn't listen. When you cry out and try and get help from God, God will not listen. It takes you taking up the responsibility for your generation. I know, I know my part of the covenant. And my part of the covenant is to get the, the lost won at any cost. Winning the lost at any cost. 
People have made Christianity some hard, principle, like massive rule book, like a, a difficult thing to follow. But it's very easy. Repent, live holy, put your faith in Christ, win the loss. And every, you put those things to, to practice, everything will work for you. You'll never live, you know, when you make the Lord your shepherd, he said you'll never have lack. But in order for, you, for God to be your shepherd, you have to follow his leading. And where does God lead? God doesn't lead anywhere else but the harvest field. God leads in the harvest field. And the Bible says that if any man desires to be my servant, where I am, he will be also. And God's not just anywhere. God is always, what did Jesus say? My father is working until now and I'm working with him. Where does God work? He's the Lord of the harvest. He's working in the harvest field. When you partner in that harvest, and you partner in taking responsibility, in reaping, you know, Jesus said in John 4, do not say in your heart that there are four months and then the harvest will come. Meaning don't put off soul winning to some, some uh, you know, long-term thing. He said, no, the harvest truly is plentiful now, but the laborers are few. The harvest is ripe to be, to be harvested, to be reaped. Enter into the harvest. When you enter into the harvest, you enter into the joy of the Lord. You know, some, some people, you might be watching right now. You have depression. You have anxiety. You're always, you're bound by suicidal thoughts maybe. Or you struggle with, you know, worry. You're always worrying about your own things. What's going to happen? You know, Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about your food. Don't worry about your clothing. But it's not just don't worry about those things and then just go on your regular task. He finishes off by saying, don't worry about those things, but seek first the kingdom of God and all those things you're worrying about, they'll be dealt with. God will deal with everything that's worrying you if you'll deal with the things that concerns him. Winning the loss is the primary target of God. When you hit that target, everything else falls, falls openly into your lap. Second Chronicles 15, 15. When Israel entered into a covenant with the Lord to seek him with all their heart, to seek them, it's like the equivalent of I'm all in for the gospel. I'm all in to seeing the lost saved. The Bible says God gave those people rest all around. All around rest. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. That's why the Bible says when the Lord's your shepherd and you follow his leading, he'll make you to have no lack. Then he says, I'll prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. The things you've been fighting against. The things you like just crawling up in a, in a bubble. Just crawling up in a corner and just sitting down. And, and you've, you've felt like you've been bombarded and overwhelmed by attack. By demonic affliction and oppression. When you make the Lord's purpose your purpose. He said, I'll prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. That as much as your enemies trying to get to you. God just makes a, makes a feast for you and you're eating of the best. You're tasting of, of God's goodness. All the while the enemy's trying to reach and grab you. He has no ability, no weapon formed event against you can prosper. Everything that rises up against you, they'll fall flat because when you make God your, your partner in the harvest, God stands by you. And when God stands by you, you're, the Bible says he's a dread champion. He's a defender. He's the God who never fails. The Lord becomes your light. He becomes your salvation. Though the enemy comes rushing in like a flood, God crushes that devil. I see that happening for you today. As you make it a point to preach that gospel at work, to preach the gospel at school, to preach the gospel in the marketplace, wherever you find yourself to be, whatever missions field God has given you, I pray in the name that is above every name, every enemy that has sought to make your life a living hell, in Jesus' mighty name, their own trouble that they've been trying to place on you falls on them. The pit they've dug up for you they fall into it themselves in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. If you if you're feel called to full-time evangelism, I pray. You know, that's one of my prayers, that God will raise up a hundred evangelists, crusade evangelists in Canada, in Canada alone. That there will be, as much as there's been concerts held in the Bell Center, the Toronto Air Canada Center, all these, these stadiums across Canada, as much as concerts, Lady Gaga, Beyonce, Kanye West, Drake, they've been, you know, occupying those, those stadiums and those venues. I pray that God will raise up a hundred evangelists like me that will occupy those stadiums to fill it for the gospel. God has a house 
And in the multitude of people is the king's glory. God, you know, people that say it's not about numbers. It's not about how many people you have at your church. It's absolutely about numbers. People who say that, have been, they've backslidden 10 years ago. You can't say that in your spirit and not feel a check. You can't, you can't hear that and it not irritate you if you're saved. It is about numbers. Why? Because the more there's numbers, the more people there are going to be in heaven. The more there's numbers on earth, the more people there are in church, the more people there are saved, the more people there'll be in eternity. The more people will be saved for eternity. That's why God is all about numbers. In the multitude of people is a king's honor. And he's the king of kings. God wants people to say, and I pray. If you're watching this, you feel the call of full-time evangelism, full-time ministry. I pray God will put a fire in your belly. You know, people say all the time, I feel called to be an evangelist, but I don't have boldness like you. I don't have that ability to speak like you. Let me tell you, neither did I. I didn't, I, man, I couldn't have been more shy before I came to Christ. I couldn't have been more screwed up before I came to Christ. I had obsessive compulsive disorder. I had anxiety disorders. I had panic attacks like no other. And I was a, a big pothead. But when I gave my life to Jesus, my human insufficiency was swallowed up by God's divine efficiency. He makes you divinely efficient. You should write that in the comments. God makes me divinely efficient. God makes me divinely efficient. God makes me divinely efficient. I don't know how to, I don't know how to speak like you speak. Neither did I. But God will put his hand on your life. And like Jeremiah, Lord, I'm a youth. I don't know what to say and nobody will hear me. God rebuked him and said, don't say you're a youth. Don't say you're too young. Behold, he stretched out his hand. Behold, I have put my mouth, my words in your mouth. Therefore, you shall go and speak what I tell you to speak. And you shall go where I tell you to go. Moses had the same problem. Lord, can't you send someone else? I'm uneloquent in speech. I stutter with my mouth. I can't speak properly. What did God say? Who has made man's mouth? If God made the mouth, can't he rewire it to, to speak like he wants it to speak? Can't he make it speak and, and declare and articulate the way he wants it to articulate? God can do that for you. He did it for me. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that God did not call the wise. God didn't call the strong. God didn't call the mighty. He chose the foolish things. He chose the weak things. He chose the, the, the base and base things, the, the things which are despised and are not, to shame the things which are, that no flesh should glory in its presence. Look at Paul. Paul said, I'm not worthy to be a preacher of the gospel, but I am what I am because of the grace of God. I see that grace eliminating your human weakness today in Jesus Christ. You will walk in God's plan and assignment for your life. Nothing holding you back in Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah. Very quickly, you're here this, today. You've never given your life to Jesus. You've stayed on this broadcast up until now. Now's not the time to harden your heart. Now's not the time to turn your back. God has drawn you to this broadcast. God has kept you on this broadcast. God has sealed you. God has a plan for your life, plan for a future and a hope. And if the devil couldn't keep you back from watching and tuning in today, he can't keep you back from receiving Christ. You're here today. You've never given your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe once upon a time you did, but you need to recommit your life. You fall under those two categories and you need to make right with God today. You need to make today the day you get saved. You want to make today the day of salvation for you and your house. You want to turn from your sin, repent of sin, and live a life worthy of the gospel. You want to make heaven your eternal home. You want to make God your father. Now's the day of salvation. The Bible says unless one is born again, he'll never enter the kingdom of God. You must be born again. How are you born again? I read it at the beginning of the broadcast. That if thou shalt believe in thine heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with your mouth, you will be saved. All you have to do is believe. You confess with your mouth. God will put his spirit on you. You'll turn from your wicked ways and turn to live for God the rest of your life. You want to pray this prayer with me. I encourage you right now. Pray this with me. Pray it along with me. Pray it from the bottom of your heart. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for not leaving me as an orphan, but sending your son to die a sinner's death so that I can live a king's life. I turn from my sin. I repent of my sin. I believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. I confess with my mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord. God, you are now my Father. Fill me with your power. Where I was weak, make me strong. Give me supernatural strength to live for you. I will live for you all the days of my life. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Fill me with your Spirit. 
I love you, Lord. Break off the chains of addiction. Break off the chains of immorality. Break off the chains of the devil, the oppression of depression, the oppression of anxiety. And where I was weak, make me strong. Let old things pass away and everything become new today. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer, even if you're watching on the replay, I want you to go on my website, www.salvationnow.ca. And on the first link that shows up, I just got saved. Click that link, fill out the form. I want to get a gift to you. It's a, a CD I entitled Things I Would Tell Every Christian or What Every New Believer Should Know. I, I forget what it's titled. But it's pretty much basic principles, basic steps to Christianity. Now that you, you've come into the family of God, what should I do that will guarantee I remain in the Him, that I remain in the family of God? I want to get that CD to you free of charge. I'll mail it to you. I pay everything. I don't want any of your money. I just want to get that to you to help you out as a gift to you. And I want to know your testimony. Everyone else that's kept on, you want to back, you want to back up and get behind the work of soul winning. You don't want your life to just be working nine to five and, and you know, that's it. But you want to partner with the, the harvest. Partner in the harvest. You want to see your generation change. You know, T.L. Osborne always said, every, every Christian is either called to preach the gospel full time or to send and support someone in their stead. In their stead. In place of them. Now you're called to preach the gospel in your missions field. But not everyone could be a full time evangelist. But you're called to, as a Christian, to get behind the, the, the task of sowing. You're, you're called to get behind the work of the Great Commission. And you can do so by tying your finances into the Great Commission. That's why the Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Not everyone can quit their jobs and become full-time evangelists. Not everyone has that grace. Not everyone has that call. But you can seek first the kingdom of God. How? Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where you put your treasure, that's where your heart is. You actually tell God, my primary attraction on this earth is your kingdom. My primary purpose, my primary agenda on this earth is to see lost humanity come to Christ. You demonstrate that by tying your finances. Because Jesus said the number one way to show love for something is to tie your treasure to that something. The number one way to show God you love the loss is to tie your money and tie your finances to the loss. I encourage you to do that today. And you know what? When you get behind the work of God, God gets behind your work. God will put promotion. Where, where others who are more qualified than you, others who are more fit for the job than, than you, because you have shown God the little treasure that you've placed in my head, I'm going to faithfully be a steward of that and tie it to your, your kingdom. God will have, he that is faithful in the little, God will entrust with much. God actually said, if you're not faithful with unrighteous mammon, meaning you don't know how to handle your money and tie it into the kingdom of God, who will entrust you the true riches of heaven? God wants to get to you the true riches of heaven. That's not just spiritual riches, but financial riches to make you a blessing to your generation so that you, you might start off giving a little, but God will, wants to increase you to the point where you can fund whole crusades, where you can fund whole evangelistic efforts overseas and in this nation. God wants to make you a funder of evangelism. Not just someone who prays for the lost to be saved, but someone who can pray and put their hand to the plow in funding the end time harvest. But you don't get there just by wishing. You get there by giving. You get there by, you sow your whatever you have now. Something that means something significant to you. If it's not significant to you, you know, look what happened to Cain in the Garden of Eden. Uh, after they had been booted out of the Garden of Eden. Cain offered up some, you know, cheap last effort sacrifice and the bible says that that sacrifice actually never reached never reached the 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 heart of god but abel's sacrifice was his first fruit sheep his most precious animal the nicest one he had found the one that was well measured the one like a dog you would put in a dog show he found the nicest sheep that would have been eligible for a sheep show if there were sheep shows in that day which would be odd but he took his most prized possession and tied, he sacrificed it and the Bible says God accepted his sacrifice, but denied the sacrifice of Cain. Just giving God something is not, is not guaranteed that God accepts your sacrifice. 
It's giving God something that means something to you. If you don't feel it, leave your hand. God will, you won't feel it. Get back into your hand. God said, if you sow bountifully, you'll reap a bountiful harvest. You want to partner with us? You can do it in a one-time gift. You can also partner with us on a monthly basis. You go to www.salvationnow.ca slash give. The link is at the bottom of the screen. You can give. And I want to thank you in advance for your giving. Thank you for your giving. By your seed, you're ensuring that the gospel message gets out, that we continue on. I mean, I'll just end there. I thank you for joining us here today. I pray, share this broadcast. If you haven't done so already, share it. If you're watching on the replay, share it. Let's get this message uh, out on the, to the four corners of the earth. Thank you for joining us. I pray that you'll, show, you'll join us next Wednesday, Wednesday at 1.30 p.m. And uh, I look forward to seeing you there. God bless you. We love you. And uh, may, good, may God use you this week to win one soul to the lost. At least one soul. I pray God will use you this week. That an urgency got dropped in your spirit. A burden for lost humanity got dropped in your spirit. Where you'll feel a need to, when you see someone at a market, wherever you're at. That coworker you've been with. You've worked with for the last 15 years, but still doesn't know you're a Christian. Make this week the week where everybody at work knows you're a Christian. That's what, I mean, I, I remember before I entered into full-time evangelism, I had a little, I was still preaching here and there, but I, I, you know, I needed to live. I didn't have enough doors. So I had a little seasonal job at Best Buy selling mobile phones. And in training, I had one, the guy that sat next to me, to the Lord, it, just in the training. We had four hours together during training. He, he, he lived far away from me, but I want him to the Lord. And then within the first week of working at the Best Buy, Best Buy mobile kiosk, I had preached the gospel. Everybody knew I was a Holy Ghost preacher. Everybody knew I prayed for the sick. Everybody knew what I did. I didn't wait till, you know, three months in. It was a seasonal thing. I only had till January. And I, everybody knew that I, I was a Christian and that they, they needed to get saved and that they needed to repent of sin. Why? It's not, I wasn't even into full-time ministry at that point. I was faithful with the field God gave me at that point, and God, God enlarged us and increased us. Be faithful with where you're at. Get behind the work of, of winning the loss, and you'll see it'll take you to places that no man would ever be able to take you. That was Abraham's heart. And Abraham became a blessing to his generation. I see you taking that place in Jesus' name. God bless you. May goodness and mercy follow you all the days of your life. Love you. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.